And I'm Drake. And welcome to Backstage Biddies, a podcast where two theater nerds discuss our love and sometimes hate of movie musicals. From Golden Age to Disney to Contemporary, we'll recap and review all things movie musical. Join us as we scrutinize Hollywood casting, dive into the history of all your faves, and gossip about controversies of the stage and screen. Press play and sing along because this, this is Backstage, Backstage Biddies. Did you get the TikTok I sent you about tap dubbing during a live show? Yes. Oh my God. So I didn't know that they did that, that they would like put people backstage on a tap board and mic them so that they can like turn off stage mics. So you're not picking up all the tapping that's happening on stage. And then they literally tap dub from the wings, the sounds that you're supposed to be hearing during live shows. Which truly floored me. They're singing in the raining. They're tap. Yeah. That's so cool. And also is wildly explicable, uh, uh, not explicable, applicable to the live version of the musical we're covering today. Yes. Tell them the hint. The hint is hotel. Lily St. Regis. Like the hotel. That's, wrong. That's wrong from, show. Wrong show. <laughs> that's from Annie. So the... What we're talking about today is the name of a famous hotel chain, but also the name of this uh, Christmas classic question mark. I would con- I would qualify it, yes, as a Christmas classic. 1942 film Holiday Inn. There is a, a like a work store mix. It's like the holiday mix CD they give you to play at retail stores. Yes. From Levi's that ended up in my record store because we buy used cds and it's got a bunch of holiday mixes on it and there's like an electro swing mix of holiday inn oh by irving berlin and it is great well all right it's one of my favorites i always use that cd in the store because otherwise you'll end up listening to the same eight christmas carols a million times you're right and i hate that as much as i love christmas music I don't like I don't I don't love that. So I love the song Holiday Inn, and uh, I was really looking forward to this musical. Well, it soured <laughs> pretty quickly. But from the top, I was real jazzy. Oh yeah. So this film was released August fourth. Oh, this was a summer release. Yeah. Okay. August 4th, 1942, it was directed by Mark Sandwich, screenplay by Claude Binion and Elmer Rice. Did you say Mark Sandwich? Sandrich. <laughs> you said it again. <laughs> Sand. Witch. Rich. Rich. <laughs> you absolute <laughs> buffoon. <laughs> hate you sometimes uh, uh, i'm crying oh my god mm. okay i'm sorry <laughs> go on go on you done i think so well we'll find out <laughs> go ahead okay 
So the cinematography was done by David Abel and story and music by Irving Berlin. This cast, Bing Crosby as Jim Hardy, Fred Astaire as Ted Hanover, Marjorie Reynolds as Linda Mason, Walter Abel as Danny Reed, Virginia Dale as uh, Lila Dixon, Louise Beavers as Mamie. Sorry, one more time. What's her name? Louise Beavers. Okay. No, I've got it under control. You carry on. As Mamie, Irving Bacon. <laughs> God, I can't. <laughs> Beaver bacon sandwich. <laughs> With a hint. <laughs> With a hint of Belasco. Oh my God! You've got to be kidding. No. Uh, Irving Bacon as Gus. Leon Belasco as the flower store manager. Holy buckets. Shelby Brown as, or Shelby Bacon. My sorry. My sorry? Cool. Shelby Bacon (laughs) as Vanderbilt and Joan Arnold as Daphne. And are those the little kids? Yes. Those are the two children. Child stars. The children. This... (laughs) (laughs) Just keep going. Oh, my Christ. Filming took place for this between November 18th, 1941 and January 30th, 1942. In May of 1940, Irving Berlin signed an exclusive contract with Paramount Pictures to write songs for a musical film based on this idea of an inn that opened only on public holidays. So it was expected that Be Careful, It's My Heart was going to be the hit song of this movie. Incorrect. Yeah, turns out um, it was actually White Christmas. Yeah, which is also, in this movie, we know it from a handful of other Christmas musicals, namely, like, the one that shares its name with the title. Yeah, White Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. How many times did they use this for a Christmas musical? I mean, hello. I mean, hello. My, my goodness. Hello. This White Christmas actually topped the charts in October of 1942. Rightly so. It's a great song. And stayed there for 11 weeks. Oh my God. And what was funny is that Irving Berlin was having difficulty writing a Christmas song because of his Jewish upbringing. Oh, okay. And when Crosby, Bing Crosby first heard it, he was like, he didn't like realize that it was going to be like a smash hit or anything. He w- he all he said was, "I don't think we have any problems with that one, Irving." Oh. <laughs> How nice. Great. I mean, that's a great thing to hear from your vocalists. Right. You know? Yeah. So the reviews. Lay it on me. It was ranked number 8 in the list of top-grossing movies for 1942. Okay. Theodore Strauss of the New York Times and these are specifically from when this movie first came out. And I feel right. that's an important caveat to put on this. Quite important. For something that we will discuss in a moment. In depth. Yeah. <laughs> Theodore Strauss from the New York Times described it, described it as all very easy and graceful. It never tries too hard to dazzle. Even in the rousing and topical 4th of July number, it never commits 
a breach of taste by violently waving the flag. Instead, it has skipped back over the year in an affectionate and lighthearted spirit. Okay. Variety called it a winner all the way with sterling performances by the male leads and Film Daily described it as a completely satisfying musical filled with crisp comedy, fetching music, snappy dance routines, first-rate acting, smart story touches, and lavish and beautiful settings. I don't disagree with most of that praise. Right. So the thing that we haven't talked about, but now we're going to bring up, is that there is blackface in this film. And not just, like, a blackface image or, like, in Singing in the Rain when we walk past an actor in blackface, but we don't really address it. Right. There is a whole production number it's in like this musical. 10 or 15 minutes because it's even more outside of the production. And when we get to that point, yeah. I'll point out stuff. So, um, mm. So quick recap on blackface for anybody who hasn't heard us talk about it on the pod before, although we have mentioned it, feel free to go back to the singing in the raid episode. There are other episodes we touch base on it. Blackface is bad because you're putting on another race as a costume and not just as a costume, but as a caricature with the intent to make fun of them and mock them for entertainment. Which then ensues causes harm. Right. It enables bigotry and not just in a, like a, we don't like you when we think you're, we can't take you seriously because we laugh at people who look like you on stage. No, in a way that like you're subhuman And because of that, we can deny you housing, civil liberties, the right to get married. Like, it dehumanizes, and it it does now and did then, dehumanize an entire populace of people to less than human. And that's uncivil and not okay. Gross. And a part of it was because they wanted the performance of black entertainment because there were black performers who were better than white people. Yeah. But they wouldn't allow them on stage. So that is a factor here too, that like there was a, there was a want for that entertainment to be seen and to be shared, but they couldn't backtrack on their own racism and be like, well, but they're really talented. So we're going to let them on stage. Instead, they just dressed up like them and impersonated them. Like, blackface is, it's never a good thing. Never at any point ever is blackface a good thing. No, and there were some performers back in the day that were black that also did blackface on top of that. Oh, absolutely. And that was for them to get a chance to be get on a, stage, get a gig. Yeah. And um, no matter who you are doing it is... No. It's a negatory. They do it um, pretty firmly here. They just stand right in it. And we're going to talk about it more when we get to it. But just a content warning before we get into it that there is blackface in this musical. And it's probably largely why I hadn't seen this or heard about it celebrated anywhere before watching it for this episode. Because Drake and I were very excited to get to watch this because we're like, oh my gosh, yeah. We've heard of Holiday Inn. Oh my God, we, yeah. I, it's I had an just Irving heard Berlin about musical. We'd Fred love... Astaire, Bing Crosby. Oh my gosh. Checked I'd... a lot of boxes. It's a Christmas show. I, I had just heard about the Broadway production. I'd seen uh, clips from it and was super excited about it. Like, I had so much to be thrilled about. 
And then we watched this movie. And then and all I was of a sudden, like, blackface was just like slammed into our Christmas. And I was like, oh. No, this is not the move. Well, hello, racism. So this did eventually become a musical. Right. It uh, didn't make it to Broadway until 2016. Huh. So this is a really recent musical. It's based on the movie and actually follows the plot of the movie pretty strictly and uses a lot of the script and score. It opened in Connecticut in 2014 at the Goodspeed Theater, which is one of my favorite regional theaters. They do such incredible work. It moved to the Muni in St. Louis in 2015, which is another one of my favorite regional theaters. They just did a Joseph that I thought was really, really impressive. And then it transferred to Broadway in 2016. They ditched the minstrel number for the musical. Which minstrel often means blackface in some fashion. Minstrel shows used blackface. Yes. Those things are synonymous, but they ditched that whole number. They cut it out completely. And they added several Berlin standards like Blue Skies, Cheek to Cheek, and Heat Wave to great success. So a lot of the music has been updated, changed, and they were so excited about this project going in because it was a time-honored, beloved musical that lots of people enjoyed, grew up with, had lots of fond memories of. That's kind of the title draw that you're looking for when you're adapting things in this day and age. But they wanted to tell it for a contemporary audience. And despite the setbacks that we still have as a society, we have come a long way since 1942 in the way of civil rights. So they knew the blackface had to go. And they were excited to mount the project without it. And I do, to an extent, agree, because we'll talk about it later, but there are a lot of good things in this musical. Yeah. The blackface just overshadows all of it. All of it. Every last thing. So to know that they could do it again and give it a new life for a new audience and revive it in a way that didn't harm people anymore was an exciting opportunity. And this musical actually went from proposal in a conference room Two live on stage in three years. Which is fast. It's in unheard of. There are musicals that have been in development for 20 years. And this made it from like a, like a meeting to the stage in three years, which is I mean, just light speed. Patty Murin played Linda in the Connecticut and St. Louis run, The Tryouts Out of Town. We know her from Anna in Frozen on Broadway. And she's a, a remarkable talent. Um, she's done a handful of Hallmark movies. She's done some Christmas stuff. And uh, she kind of made her mark on Broadway as being one of the first women to really speak out about raising a family while starring in a musical on Broadway. And she took time away from the production, which had kind of been unheard of in the way that she did it up to that point. And she became sort of a catalyst for a conversation on Broadway about how we share roles and how to effectively tell a story without burning out your actors. And so she took time away from the show for herself, for mental health reasons, for her husband, for her children. Um, And again, really started this conversation about how we're splitting roles and whether or not eight shows a week as a lead character is healthy. And we love her for that. Patty Mirren's a star in my eyes. I really like her. Bryce Pinkham played Jim. We know him from A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Award-winning talent. Uh, 
I think it won Best Musical that year, actually, A Gentleman's Guide. Great show if you're not familiar with it. Bryce Pinkham's brilliant. He played opposite Corbin Blue as Ted. From the High School Musical series? That's the one. And he really stepped up to the plate. Corbin Blue did some really intense dancing, and uh, he really, really did the damn thing. LOL, stepped up to the plate. (laughs) I didn't mean to. I know. I didn't mean to. But you did! a reference to the gay baseball number yeah do you think we'll ever do high school musical here it's been requested huh it's it's I listener be, requests we've talked about doing things like that like a franchise like we've talked about high school musical and pitch perfect are the two that have come up about doing like a showdown episode of just the franchise to see which movie is the best out of all of them Something to play with. I don't know if, I don't know. Guys, I don't, let us know if that sounds interesting to you. I don't know logistically if it works the same way, but we could give it a shot. Yeah. So in 2017, this musical was nominated uh, at the Tony Awards and the Drama Desk Awards for Best Choreography, and rightly so, because they do this insane thing in the musical where they have, uh, it's a tap number, but they tap dance while jumping rope. It seriously is, if you guys have not watched it, it's the wildest thing ever. It is bonkers banana pants. It's so cool and so difficult I mean, it's just it's just really impressive, innovative choreography. And it was, it's the first time I've ever seen anything done like that. Just mind-blowing stuff. Let's dive into some plot, Bettys. You sound exhausted. I am exhausted. Okay, so first note, ew, is this movie in black and white? It sure is, the whole thing, top to bottom. Oh, I just hate black and white movies. Yeah. I have such a hard time investing in them because I'm such a visually driven performer. Like, I'm here for the choreography and the costumes and the, like, the design elements. Yep. And I just lose so much when things are in black and white. Yep. Ugh, but fine. It is set in Christmas Eve right off the top of 1924. Swing, baby. Schwing. Um, we find out that Ted, played by Fred Astaire, uh, is coming into the show. He has like this cute little dance number with people outside of the theater. And Jim, we see him like crossing with Jim, right? They're kind of, Ted is trying to avoid Jim for reasons that we're about to find out. I have the hardest time keeping these characters separate in my head because it's like Linda and Lila and Ted and Jim. Yep. I have a really hard time with our, our four main leads. I watched this movie with Alexis. So I'm glad that I watched this with another person. So someone could keep track? No, I was the one who kept track, but I had to keep track for her. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jim goes into Lila's dressing room, and we find out that they're kind of in a relationship. Jim, Ted, and Lila all have like a famous performing trio in New York. This is going to be their last performance though, because Jim has bought a farm and a ring because he's proposed to Lila and Lila knows all of this and they're going to give up dancing and they're just going to go live on a farm in Connecticut. We then find out that Ted and Lila are in love too. And she's like, I'm going to 86 gym and keep dancing because I want to. Fine. Probably should have said something until literally right now. Yeah, now's not the time to be like, hey, 
thanks for planning our future. I don't love you enough to give up show business. Yep. Which is, like, fine, but you have to say something. Yeah, this is literally supposed to be their last performance. And then from this performance, they leave to go to Connecticut to the farm that he bought for them. But that's fine. I mean, it's a huge investment and my entire livelihood, but, you know, fuck me, right? Yeah. Thanks, Lila. Yeah. We get the number, I'll Capture Your Heart Singing, which is really cute. It's this back and forth thing between Jim and Ted. And it's on stage now. This is their performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is an important thing to say. When they enter the stage, so we've only seen like two locations so far, right? We've seen their dressing room and then like the room they perform in on stage with an audience. Yes. Both of these rooms are so decadent and the stage that they're on is like enormous, full of... Uh, uh, musicians and there's an audience and like like holy fucking budget Batman it was 1942 I mean it, yeah in the timeline of movie musicals this is the golden age right we're firing on all cylinders we're churning out stuff like crazy we got budget yeah and we've got a whole industry that kind of caters just specifically to this and you can totally tell, like, the decadence in the settings alone is so outrageous. Just, like, uh, just wealth. Wealth. Ranch. Ranch. Filthy ranch. So in this number, Jim is singing and crooning, and he is like, ah, you'll go with me because I'm a singer. And Ted's like, you'll go with me because I'm a dancer and does a bunch of tapping and really cool dancing. And Bing's riffing versus Fred's tapping. are Goddamn. They're so equally gifted. And they they can still do what the other one does. Because they do in this song. They're yeah, like, well, sure. if you could, because Lila says, if you could dance like him, I'd go with you. And if you could sing like him, then I'd go with you. And then they each do their own little thing separately. Yeah, and, and, and again... Lila also, like, keeps up with both of them. Virginia Dale does an incredible job in this role of of working with the both of them and keeping in step with Fred Astaire while being able to sing alongside Bing Crosby. I mean, that's a feat. They're all so talented. Yeah. Great, great number. And then they leave stage. Jim is talking to Ted and is like, hey, I feel bad that Lila and I are leaving you and that we're going to go do this and we were having a really good career together. Ted is trying to get up the nerve to tell Jim, hey, that's not what's going to happen. Lila's going to stay with me, so sorry, goodbye. Before he can do that, though, Danny, who is Ted's manager... Wait, which one is Ted? Fred Astaire. Okay. Ted is Fred. Oh, oh, I can use that. There you go. Ted is Fred. Because already, we were like, what, five minutes into this breakdown and I'm already lost? Mm-hmm. I just forget which one is which. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, no, it's valid. It's valid. <laughs> so, sorry. So there, Danny the manager comes in and... Uh, Danny, who is Ted's manager, comes in and is like, guess what? We got the gigs of the century for you and Lila because you're dropping this farm boy. And blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, Jim is standing um, literally right there. And it's like, what's going on? Ted's like, I didn't get the chance to tell him yet. Oh. Well, well, let's well, get to it. Now, you know. 
<laughs> and Lila says that she wants to stay because she she just loves everyone. Okay, girl. If you're going to love everyone, you got to communicate a lot. So you yeah, got to get to communicating. There is a right way and a wrong way to do that, milady, and I fear that you have gone the wrong way. And she also says that her and Ted just want to keep making people happy with our feet. That sounds fetishy. And if that isn't a foot fetish, <laughs> I literally, in all caps, have porn. I mean, yeah. Yeah. There's a line somewhere in this exchange, too, about how performers always have to give an extra performance on holidays. Yes, because Jim is wanting to leave the performing life to do a farm life because he's like, it's going to be easier because I'm not having to do performances on holidays and we'll follow an actual calendar. Yeah, yeah. He says he wants to live by the calendar. And I wrote it down because I was like, my God, how true. I mean, there's never a busier time of year for performers than like over the holidays because everyone wants you to do a church service and a parade and a pageant and a, I mean, there's just a million things. Performers are stretched every direction over the holidays, especially if you can do more than one thing, like God forbid. Especially if you play piano. Yeah. Oh my God. I feel like instrumentalists and musicians are, are always pulled the hardest because they, everyone wants you to do a concert or I mean it's just crazy it's a lot and that's for all holidays it's one of the reasons that like as a costume designer I had the chance to audition for a Christmas show once and I ended up doing the costumes for them instead and I remember my mom asking me why and she was like you can still do that like you always dreamed of being a performer why would you give up this opportunity to do costumes instead and I said if I had auditioned for the show I would have had to give up all of my family holidays every single one like, it was, a, it was a Christmas show that opened in November, so I was like, I wouldn't have been home for my birthday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. And, like, those are holidays that I enjoy spending with people that I care about. There are other holidays that I care less about. Like, I don't really – I mean, if you need me to sing somewhere on a, for an Easter Mass or whatever, like, I can skip Easter with my family. Like, I don't have to go to their service with them. We'll get together and eat later or whatever. Like, there are holidays that I don't mind giving up. Or even working, you know, doing retail the way I do. I don't mind doing Memorial Day, Labor Day, weekend. Like, though those things don't bother me. But to give up, like, my family holidays with the people that I care about, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. And uh, Jim didn't either, apparently. No, so he is like, okay, fine. Ted, Lila, have a great life. Or don't. I don't care. I'm out of here. And then he leaves to go to Midville, Connecticut. Which I thought was funny. He goes to Connecticut, which is where when they did the live musical, that's where they started the workshop. Yes, yes, yes. I yes. thought that was neat. What a nice little nod. Right? While we are watching Jim on this farm, we get the song Lazy. And it's all about how giving up the city life for a farm life and how it's going to be a lot easier now. The montage underneath it is just farmyard chaos. <laughs> And we see the year, like, flipping through because on the screen it'll say, ah, it's it's now, like, Valentine's Day. Right. It's we now keep, Easter. We it's keep now... tabs of the year via holidays. Right. And we just keep seeing him doing random farm work. As someone who has a sibling who does farm farming, you don't get a day off, kids. Not ever. No. Nope. So it's kind of funny that he was like, I'm going to go do this because it's going to be a lot easier. That's incorrect. What a ridiculous assumption to make. Yes. Well, well, he did. From here, 
we see him kind of like slowly giving up and he starts throwing a fit in bed and like chucking his lamp across the room and tearing his pillow pillow, yeah. yeah and then from there we see a telegram that ted got from jim that says hey i'm gonna come see you I know it's like been a year since I've seen you, but I'm going to come see your show. Uh, I have a great idea, and I thought of it while I was resting in the sanitarium. Yeah, that's the it's the the madhouse. Mm-hmm. He went to like a mental hospital. He was institutionalized. And it's it's weird because when we tick through holidays on that calendar, we jump from Easter to Thanksgiving. And I was like, there's a whole slew of stuff between those two holidays. And I just wonder. Yeah, I wonder, uh, you made the good point that it's probably the time he spent in the sanatorium. Yeah. But also, most of them aren't really, like, showbiz holidays. I I guess Fourth of July. Fourth of July can be, so maybe that's why. I don't know. I don't know. It it was just a weird jump for me, and I made a note of it. Yeah. Jim is back, and he's in Ted's dressing room talking with Ted and Danny and how he's going to change the farm into an inn. That is only going to be open on holidays. Just 15 days a year. Just 15 days a year. They don't mention 15 holidays in this musical, though. They never once mention 15 holidays in this musical. What was the final count you had? 10? 10. So we're still five And that's short. including the eves. Shut up, really? So New Year's Eve, New Year's Day... Uh, Lincoln's birthday, Valentine's Day, Washington's birthday, Easter, 4th of July, Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Wow. You are five short, buddy. Did you put, is 4th of July on that list? Yes. Okay, so Halloween, St. Patty's Day. And I think Memorial Day, Labor Day, and maybe Veterans Day. That'd be 15. Based off of the timeline. Yeah, I mean, I mean, especially if they're doing president's birthdays, then yeah, Veterans Day would make sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels like a stretch, but they make a point to mention 15 holidays, like on several occasions. A lot throughout this whole thing. And we don't list all 15 of them at any point. Nope. <laughs> nope. So they're talking about it. Ted and Danny think that it's a huge joke, and they're like, yeah, okay, fine. Danny goes off because he needs to hop on a plane and he also needs to get flowers to get into Lila's dressing room because Jim makes the comment, Lila's the kind of person who needs a gift on Father's Day. Yeah, so she expects these flowers to be there and she'll be downright diva pissed if they're not. Right. We this. Uh, so Jim, in his time at this farm... Canned some peach preserves. And he gives them as gifts, which is so thoughtful. Um. Until. They all explode. <laughs> which one I thought was kind of funny. One at a time. One I at mean, a they, one you know. Yeah, there's like, there's a comedy thing there. It's good. Also, fun fact, there's a Monstera plant behind them. That's how interesting this movie is up to this point. I have a really big Monstera plant. Actually, you've heard in several episodes me talking about how excited that I am that there's a new leaf. It's always the Monstera. It's always the Monstera plant. She's she's thriving. (laughs) Fun fact, there is, in fact, another new leaf happening. Wow. Is that the third one since we started the pod? A lot more than that, but I think this is the third time that I've mentioned it on the pod. (laughs) 
great. It's right in my eye. Like I know, I face wh- a, I face away from it while we yeah, record. Yeah, and I just, so. I just stare at it forever in my little jungle. Anyway, so Danny goes to the flower shop. Right. We meet Linda. And she instantly recognizes Danny, and she begs her manager, please let me handle this customer. Just walk away. Don't say anything. I will take care of it. I will work weekends and nights if you let me handle this customer alone. For free. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, we can make this happen. Uh, I, I'll, you know, she gets his hopes up at for a second. Yeah, what does he say? He needs, like, he needs a dozen orchids or something like that. He needs like a that. dozen orchids. She's like, yeah, and he's like, they need to be delivered here by 11. Well, the last delivery truck will, won't be back until after 11. Well, can't you do a, a page boy? Well, it is Christmas Eve. I just, th- we can't guarantee that. And then she's doing all of this because she's going to say, I can hand deliver them. As a, uh, as a favor. And then he's like, oh, okay, well, here's here's five bucks or 10 bucks, which at the time was a lot of money. For your troubles. And she's like, no, no, no. Just consider it a favor. You'll owe me one. A personal favor. And he's like, well, I don't like leaving favors out like that to strangers when I'm about to leave Can I get you tickets to the show tonight? And she's like, yeah, sure. Oh, you're the manager? (laughs) I had no idea. Oh, my God. And then he's like, oh, fuck. She's like, I'm a performer, which I'm sure he hears all the time. Constantly. So she's like, please give me a chance. And he's like, well, I have a buddy opening a place up here. It's called the Holiday Inn. Check it out. Here's the table he's sitting at. Go to the show tonight. Yeah. Which he does it as like a brush off because he doesn't think that that's a thing that's going to happen. No, because he thinks the Holiday Inn is a a funny haha. Because he also asked Jim like, hey, did you get your clearance papers from the sanitarium? Because this is a nuts idea. <laughs> We're at the performance. Jim is there. Linda's there. They sit next to each other. Jim orders a bowl of coffee. Yeah, I think it's meant to be like a ha-ha funny, like he's trying to be cutesy with the waiter, but this waiter is like fed up and not having any of it. Just like, no. Jim notices that Linda's cute. Linda is sitting there trying to not get caught because she's at a table that's reserved for talent. Yeah. And she's not technically supposed to sit there, but that's where they put her. Jim's like, yeah, no, I own my own club and I, this and I, that and blah, blah, blah. And Linda's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a performer. I'm, I'm a performer. And he's like, Oh, like what, what have you done? And she's like, I'm Linda Mason. And he's like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's right. Linda Mason. Yeah. And just kind of like looks off to the side like, what the fuck? Who is that? He asks her, are you in showbiz? And her response is, I'm Linda Mason. Like, I love that. And like, next time a professional asks me like, oh, uh, you're in the, you work in theater. What do you do? I'm just going to say, I'm Drake Leverance. <laughs> and just let it hang. And just see where it goes. I'm going to try it. I'm going to incorporate this. I think right. it's great. All right. Do I thing. love that exchange. She also says that she knows Ted and Lila and this, that, the other thing. Ted and Lila come out and they do a dance number for the song, You're Easy to Dance With. Stunning partner dancing. Holy shit. I haven't recognized a single song in this show. No. Not one. No. Oofta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Ted and Lila see Jim sitting at the table. They head over to say hi. 
Linda's going to get caught if she doesn't haul ass, so she does. They have a conversation because Ted is a player and just takes women and charms them and this, that, and the other thing. And so Lila thinks that he's cheating on her and he's like, no, I don't. And Jim's like, she said that she was your friend. Whatever. That whole thing. That scene ends poorly. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like whenever Lila, Jim, and Ted have an exchange, it ends up in some kind of like upset miscommunication and then blackout next scene like and then they part ways like they don't ever resolve it so we just have this like series of confrontations and arguments that never get resolved yeah we see linda arriving at the holiday inn look at that fucking inn i know it money money it's huge cash money steel peak wealth and I'm like, you, this was, this was a farm beforehand? Oh my God. Wild. All right. Linda arrives for auditions. Jim is trying to talk to her while he's hammering a sign up top and he fully falls off the roof and they land on each other. Yeah. He falls off the roof with a hammer in his hand. Yeah. By the way, I dropped a hammer on my foot the other day. Giant bruise. Oh my God. Are you okay? No. Uh, oh. But it's not because of the hammer. Oh! <laughs> anyway, so they're fine. They realize, oh, we were both lying. Ha 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 ha. That's so funny and charming and showbiz of us. Won't you come inside? Yes. The inside of the inn is even crazier. It's stunning. It's massive. There's so much there. And we meet Mamie. Now, let's talk about... Blackface characters. Shall we? Mm-hmm. Mamie is a blackface character you see in minstrel shows. She, I, quick thing here. She is not actively in blackface and is indeed a black woman. But there are yeah, still she's a black caricatures actress, yeah. that get applied to then just black actresses. Right. So these, these blackface characters are holdovers in the industry and we see them. uh, There was like the Jezebel character. There was Mr. Bones and Tambo, um, Jim Crow. Like all of these characters are common characters in blackface minstrel shows, but they are caricatures of the things that we don't like about black people. Right. Or the thing that we, the society at the time and white people deemed that they were black people's jobs. Like, so Mamie is like a mammy character. Right, a caretaker. Someone who like cooks, takes care of the children, that type of thing. Housekeeper, nursemaid, like. Right. That's who this character is. And, and it's. One of those things that, like, resonated through time and space and became, like, more and more subtle, but is something that when you look back even, like, just a step or two in its history, you realize rather suddenly that it's really horrifically racist. Yep. And racism directly leads to physical harm for marginalized people. Right. I don't know if everybody always makes that connection, but the reason that, like, you can't The reason people are stern about, like, disrespecting a person's pronouns or, like, using a slur, like, the reason that those things aren't just words, quote-unquote, is because those simple words enable behaviors 
that cause direct physical harm to people. So when you refuse to acknowledge someone's pronouns, when you refuse to use their given name, when you use their dead name instead, this is, a, this is queer theory now about it because I know more about that than I do about racial theory. But when you do things like that, you contribute directly to physical harm to those marginalized communities. And the same thing applies to race. It applies to race more strongly and firstly, in fact, America has a much deeper history of racism than it does of uh, anti-queer rhetoric. Both exist, but the, the racism has been far more harmful here. Those things directly contribute to each other, and you can't ignore them. So it's like when, like when they removed Mrs. Butterworth's face from the shape of the bottle. It was because Mrs. Butterworth was a holdover from a Mammy character. Correct. And actually was truly a woman who played a mammy character regularly in vaudeville that was then put as the face of this syrup company right that's not that's not that long ago that's not a disconnect that's not an assumption that is actually like step by step what happened right so you see these things kind of echoed through history and this is another one of those moments where like she walks on screen and is like hunky dory and we don't really think anything of it because she's just she's not a slave she's just uh someone who works at the holiday inn but like when you take a step back and like look at the history behind the character just like a little bit the fact that her name is Mamie she is a slave which is That's just the Mammy point. yeah like who who huh, did she come with this property when you bought it jim <sighs> Because this is where her family has lived here. That's a slave, Jim. It's gross. Yeah. It's gross. And this is not even, I wouldn't say, even the grossest thing that happens. No, uh, hardly. But already this was like a disqualifying factor. I was like, ooh, okay. All my life I've wondered, I hear about Holiday Inn all the time. It's a, you know, a beloved golden age Christmas musical. Why have I never seen it? Well, well, and now we know why. Yeah, we're, we're getting into... It's coming out that, like, oh, because it's a time capsule of, like, horrendously racist practices of the time. Yeah. All right, well, don't love that. What happens next? <laughs> yes. So we also meet her kiddos, Daphne and Vanderbilt. They're adorable. They're precious little kids. They come out, and she turns to them and is like, Is your guys' name Mamie? They're like, no. She's like, then get back in the kitchen. You were not called to be out here. This is not your space to be in. Shoo-shoo, children. Then Linda comes in, and her, um, Mamie and Linda are going upstairs. And she stops again and turns to her kids, because they're following right behind her. And is like, now, children, are your names Miss Linda? No. Then, well, then go, go on, back. <laughs> go back to the kitchen and hang out there where you're supposed to be. And they're like, okay. And they just stand there and then continue to follow them up the stairs. <laughs> and they're just the cutest little kids. And I'm like, God damn, if I haven't had that exact same interaction with children. Oh my God. In my life. All the time. Um, we find out that those are Mamie's kids. Cute as a button. Pretch. We get the scene of Jim and Linda talking about the business and how it's 
only going to be 15 holidays a year. And Jim is looking for talent. Linda is a talent that wants to be seen. And he's like, all right, so let's see what you got. I'm writing a song for every single holiday to like base the performance around because he wants this to be a space where performers can come perform at this one place for holidays and then be done and not have to do it any other time during the year. Mm -hmm. The one that he wrote for Christmas is white Christmas. How many musicals has Bing Crosby sang this specific song in? At least twice. Yeah. At least twice. He's the one who sings it in white Christmas. Correct. Weird. Hmm. Yeah. It's not that weird, but it's, uh, it's not that many times, but it's weird that it happened twice. Yeah, in like a in a movie about um, show business and also in in with a menstrual number. Yeah. Hmm. Weird. Weird. He so they're singing. They sound great together. They're so precious. He plays these little bells with his pipe on a tree, which comes <laughs> back later. Which is the only reason why I'm pointing it out. From here, we flash over to New Year's Eve because he was wanting to get this up and running by Christmas and he just didn't find the talent that he wanted. So they are having opening night for the Holiday Inn on New Year's Eve. We start off by singing Happy Holidays. And once we get into the song, you realize more so that it's talking about like the Holiday Inn as a place to be. Yeah, I love this song. It's good. It's fun. It's I cute. I think it's great. We should bring back the sequin gown. Don't you think? I have one from your wedding in my closet that I would love to wear again. Let's do it. You and me. Nothing but sequin gowns from here till Christendom. Yep. Dizzy showgirls and gooey, gooey gowns. gowns. It's enough to make you heave. But I'm for it. Yeah. <laughs> and Mamie's kids are dressed up as Father Time and Baby New Year. Presh, presh, presh. So cute. Yeah. We jump out of the inn and we're back over to where Ted and Lila typically perform. Danny, the manager, shows up and sees that there is a telegram from Lila to Ted saying that she is actually going to leave him and she is going to Texas to marry a millionaire. Yeah, she just fucked right off. We find out that Ted is going to Connecticut to see his old buddy Jim. And there's somebody who like explains where Ted has gone, and he keeps calling it Connecticut. Yes, he has some I kind gotta, of accent, and he can't. I got a chuckle out of that. Yeah. So we get the number. Let's start the new year right. How does that never show up on any list anywhere? I don't know. For like, what songs are specifically about New Year's that we can put on a New Year's playlist? And that song. Is literally about New Year's. Especially in our algorithm, because everything... I mean, there's a show tune for every occasion, and we usually use them. So if you know there's a show tune about New Year's, why wouldn't that be suggested to you by, like, an app somewhere? I don't know. I don't know, but I'm glad we found it. Yeah. Cool song. So we've... And I simply adore a vintage party scene. I mean, it is very cool. Oh, I just love it. It's very cool. Everybody is decked to the nines. There's a bunch of random New Year's shenanigans, like hats and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Party favors and things like that. I, I love a good party vintage aesthetic. Yeah. 
It's about time that Jim and Linda get going on the next number and Jim gets swooped up by some random drunk lady. And then Linda comes out looking around for Ted and not Ted. Linda is looking for Jim. See, I can't keep them right either. It's because I read the name Ted. Anyway, it's all the same. Whatever, whatever. It's all the one same. of them is out here and the other one isn't. And then Ted shows up blitzed. Yeah. Oh, he's hammered, hammered, like drowning himself in Lila's disappearance. Yeah. So he walks in and grabs Linda and starts dancing with her. Now, the dancing between the two of them. So he is drunk and he is supposed to visibly be seen as drunk. Yeah. Yeah. I've nicknamed it the the sloppy swing. And Perfect. It's so fucking good. Because when you when you dance, and especially partner dancing, and you're supposed to be fumbling all over the place, you need to have control over the action that looks like you don't have control. Because otherwise, that's how people get hurt and this, that, the other thing. And this is, like, masterfully done. Not shocking because, again, it is Fred Astaire, but... The calamity of it on purpose yeah. is so impressive. It's so cool, and everybody loves it. They think they do a great job. Ted and Linda get separated by the crowd. Jim puts Ted into bed, and Danny, the manager, had showed up and heard that there was another girl that he was seen dancing with, and he's super jazzed because he's like, oh my gosh, the man found a partner. I thought that he was worried that he was drinking himself into a stupor. I mean, he did. He did. Um, but look at this. He found someone else. This is great. Fuck Lila. Woohoo. And Jim is pissed because he's like, no, this is not going to happen again. I'm mad about it. Next day, Ted wakes up. Can't remember what happened the night before. Danny's talking to him and they're trying to figure out who it is. Danny's like, if I could see the back of her, I would know who it is. And Ted's like, if I dance with her again, I would know who it is. So now... We're at Lincoln's birthday. This is where the gobs and gobs and gobs of blackface happen. Right. So Jim is having a conversation with Linda as they're getting ready for the event. And uh, I don't remember the context of the conversation. Real quick, even before that, though, we see like scenes of things going on. Ted comes in with Danny and this, that, the other thing. Like, there's a lot happening and you see the event space. I was like, oh, because it's a wide pan out, right? Yeah, yeah, you get the whole room. You get the whole room. And I'm like, that's weird that all of the servers for this party are black people when the servers for the other party that we did already see were not, and they specifically did this for Lincoln's birthday? Weird, weird. choice. Weird choice. Ted and Danny come in and they give the coat check gal their coats. And then I'm like, hold the phone. Is that, is that woman in blackface? I missed the first woman. I must've been writing something down. Working behind the counter. It's like a quick blip, but I literally paused it and backed up. Cause I was like, hold on a second. I'm with you. Yeah. I was like, uh, what the fuck? And then go back out into the ballroom, all of the servers are in blackface. All of the band members are in blackface. So that's where we're starting this off. Then Jim sees that Ted and Danny are there and they're going to end up recognizing Linda and he's worried about that. So then he goes up to have a conversation with Linda. Oh, is that what the conversation's about? To change 
he's like, I think he says the line that he thinks that his number would do better if it were in blackface. So he changed his mind because before they weren't going to do it and now they are going to do it. And she's like, oh, I have no idea how to put blackface on. I've just never done this before. And he's like, that's okay. I can put it on for you. I was not paying attention at all to the dialogue. I just saw him physically painting her face brown. Mm -hmm. And it's in black and white. So I was like, oh, it could be any color. But then as he continued Mm -hmm. painting her, I was like, wait, no, wait. Mm -hmm. Stop. Mm -hmm. What are you Mm -hmm. doing? And then mm-hmm. we have a number. God. Okay, so during this, dur- while he's doing her blackface makeup, they also have a conversation about the fact that Jim is like, hey, I'd like you to do all of the holidays here. And maybe when we get enough money, you can just stay here. And she's like, oh, my God, are you proposing? And he's like, well, once I get a few dollars in the bank, I would love to propose to you and for us to do this thing together. Okay. That's an important piece to have in there. But again, when you are staring blackface actively happening in your own face, it's kind of hard I didn't hear anything with this entire scene. Like, I have no idea what happened. I had I had to back up and figure it out. Because I was like, I, I feel like this is going to come back later. And I need to know. But also, I hate this. It's awful. Oh, God. Okay. <clears throat> so, we go down to the ballroom. People are dancing, having a good time. Ted and Danny are trying to figure out if any of these women that are out there dancing is Linda. Cause they don't know her name. They don't know what her face looks like. That whole Megillah. Right. So they keep like sandwiching dancing couples and like Fred will, uh, Fred, Ted will stand behind, behind the guy and like fake dance with the, while looking at the woman and Danny will stand behind the woman and like look her up and down because he's trying to recognize a woman from the back. Yep. And this guy turns around and says, what is this, a daisy chain? Um, is that an orgy joke? It is. <laughs> so a daisy chain is a group sexual activity in which the participants serve as active and passive members to different people simultaneously. Huh. That's an orgy. Well, I don't know if I like that. Yep. And then we get the song Abraham. And it's, it's already awful because we've established that there are several characters on screen in blackface. And it just goes from awful to worse. So Bing Crosby is in full-on blackface. Oh my god. When he made the entrance, I literally... I wrote, oh holy shit, in all caps. Yep. Oh my god. Yep. Yep. So he's singing the song about Abraham Lincoln that he wrote. And I was like, oh my God, holy shit, the whole band is also in blackface. Because this is the first time that I can really see what's going on. Um, Because again, it's black and white and zoomed way the fuck back beforehand. Mm -hmm. Then we see that Mamie starts singing a part of this song. And guys, Uh... this is the only song that she sings in. And guys, this is the only line that she sings. And this is going to get really racist really fast. And I need you to know that. But I am going to say it because it is important to say. She sings a line, who set the darkie free? 
oof. And to have your black character sing that line uh, during Lincoln's birthday about liberation. And then her tiny, tiny children chime in too. That's propaganda. Yep. That's propaganda, babes. That's fucking gross. That's awful. It's all gross. Um, And I literally have, how many times am I going to have to pause this goddamn movie? (laughs) Fuck. And then. And then. In all caps in my notes, it says, how did it get worse? Oh, God. Linda enters. Linda enters. And she is in the most horrendous, because he changed her hair. It's to make it look offensive. like a different texture hair oh my God. sticking up off of her head. She has like the out the mouth line as well. Yeah. Bing does not. She comes in and Bing acts more so like himself, but like an old man. Still not sure. good, but that's what he acts like. Linda, Linda comes, comes out in. and does like a whole a whole performance. A whole caricature of oh, a quote-unquote uh, dumb black woman. Which is just fucking disgusting. It is rotten. And at this point, I was like, wow, Christmas is ruined. Yeah. I was like, wow, you really, you really just took a shit. And this this whole number is supposed to be about like how great Abraham Lincoln was, which choices yeah because again also a bit of historical reflection on that would probably lead you to not want to celebrate this on his particular birthday but that's fine yeah yeah so my thing is is that if you wanted to hide her face you could have put her in an obnoxious wig and dressed her up as abraham lincoln right throw a beard on her you, you know? could have had everyone else that was in blackface dress up as Abraham Lincoln. Just some thoughts. You could have done anything but blackface and gotten your point across. You could have not celebrated his birthday at all. But then again, there are whole productions that they emit the number entirely because the number doesn't contribute anything to the plot. Right, so... Something to note is that in the beginning of the 80s, some broadcasts, and I say some because that's an important word to point out, not all of them, some of them, started omitting the musical number. My thing is, is I don't know if they omitted the other stuff. I'm sure they omitted some of it, like if it was like a clip that didn't have any principal characters in it, and was just establishing the blackface that was already in the room. We can get rid of that. We don't need that. Right. I imagine, though, that the conversation they have while he's painting her face... They have to because that's an important conversation plot-wise. It does carry plot. So that's probably still in there, but, like... I mean, at least you don't put the whole thing on spectacle. At least you have some kind of shame about it. Um, ex- Jesus. Except there are some people who don't like Turner Classic Movies uh, because they always air films uncut and unedited. Yes, they do. I wonder if they have, like, a, a warning about it, though. I don't, that I don't know. A whole, like, this is a, a product of its time and to ignore it is to pretend it didn't happen. That I don't know. I don't a- know either. AMC also airs, or aired the film intact before it became an advertiser-supported channel. That makes sense. So, 
And in 2018, the British Prime Minister Theresa May named Holiday Inn as her favorite Christmas film. Huh. Which then caused a controversy due to the racism. Uh, yeah. In the Abraham segment. Yeah. Because again, the character of Mamie is already a problem. And it's one of those things of subtle, more subtle racism that is still detrimental and a problem. But it tends to be hidden more. It is more easily overlooked. There you go. That's as, the word I was looking for. innocently intended. Right. You can't do blackface with innocent intent. So all of that happens. And my my jaw is just on the floor by the end of the number. Um, Linda leaves. Danny sees Linda leaving. She still gets away. Ted, Danny, and Jim are talking about it. And Jim says, yeah, I think people really like the blackface number. And in all caps in my notes, did people like the blackface number, Jim? I don't think they did. Did they? <laughs> they might have. I mean, uh, in 1942, yeah, they probably did. Yeah. Especially in a musical about 1920, what? 1920, well, at this point, I think it would be 1925. Yeah, so they probably but did. But still, I yeah. Mean, who would have had ob uh, uh, I, objections to it? I know, but then he was like, yeah, I think that they liked him so much. Wouldn't it be wild if we just did a blackface number for Valentine's Day too? No, no, Jim, no. No more blackface numbers. No more. You did one too many, actually. Yeah, you've already crossed the line. <laughs> you did. That's enough. <laughs> you did one too many. Just the fact that you had the thought is one too many, Jim. You know how much blackface is too much blackface? Any blackface. Any of it. <laughs> Any of it all. Too much. Um, and they're like, yeah, no, that would be weird, Jim. Maybe don't do that. You know what would make Valentine's Day cooler? If it was blatantly racist. Ah. Ah, romance. <laughs> Delish. So... At this point, I'm fucking, I am grossed out. And my sister wanted this quote to be in here from the Alexis. She says, white people are the fucking worst. Historically speaking. End quote. That is accurate. Yes. So now it's Valentine's Day. And the dress on Linda. Stunning. It's a 10. Stunning. It's a 10, baby. That's a good fucking dress. Jim gives Linda sheet music as a card, like a handmade card. And, and it's, that's so cute. It's so cute. I would swoon personally. Uh, and we get the song, Be Careful, It's My Heart, which is the song that they thought was going to be the, hit. the really big hit from, from yeah. this movie. And it, it was still, at the time, really big. Just not as big as White Christmas. Just, I mean, it's fucking White Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So this song is... Something Jim wrote specifically for Linda that was like, hey, you have my heart. Don't break it. I've had problems in the past. And, Lila. Well, it's, <laughs> Looking it's at Lila. you, Lila it's and Lila. Ted. But, um, yeah, so then she's standing there singing little bits with him, kind of bebopping around. He's playing piano, so she's standing behind him. Ted comes in and swoops up Linda and starts dancing with her. Jim has no idea. Until they break a piece of the set decoration by busting through this paper heart, like giant, like almost floor to ceiling heart that he had. Oh my God. Yeah. Ripped through it. Because which, again. LOL, you broke his heart. 
we have new costumes and new set dressings for the ballroom for every holiday. Every single holiday. Money. Impressive. But I also put, well, Jim, that's what you get for doing blackface. So from here, Ted is a giant slut bag and is just like, Linda, <laughs> Linda, you're the love of my life. Be the love of my life. And she's like, well, that's kind of weird. And he's like, I want you to be my dance partner. And she's like, that'd be cool. I'd be down to do like the next holiday with you or whatever. We can dance together. I'd be down. And then Ted looks at Jim and says, you know, you better get writing a number for us to dance to and explains exactly the way the number needs to be and looks his friend in the face and is like, yeah, that's right. I'm Mr. Steal Your Girl and you're going to write a song for us about our love. We enter in and it's Washington's birthday. For whatever fucking reason, these are the holidays that we're celebrating. I remember in elementary school, we celebrated every president's birthday. Yeah, I know. But like the fact that this is... It's our national holiday. Guys, come on. My note is just always waiting for blackface to happen again. Yeah, because now now the damage has been done and we're just on high alert from here to the end. And I can't, I can't enjoy this movie. After that happened, I was like, oh, okay. Everything else is garbage. It's the reason that you always see like a death in the first five minutes of a horror film. Yeah. Because they want you to know what's possible. Yeah, I know what's possible now, and this is a this is a horror film. <laughs> yep. They are doing a number for Washington's birthday, and they have these costumes ready. They have these comical wigs on. Yeah. All of them are comical. Jim's is, like, fuzzy and kind of cocked to the side. I think his wig is funny. To show that he doesn't give a shit, but, like, a lot of the wigs on the women, too. Yeah, I mean, they're all pompous and crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, they're comical. Because it's like a Renaissance look. Yeah, 18th century. Yeah. Is what they were going for. So, I have you got these costumes together in eight days? Dead wrong. I don't think you did. No, no, no. Who are you, Bob Mackie? Exactly. Jim makes the band, so like... Ted and Linda, I'm so disinterested in this whole thing. I know. I'm so it's, sorry, The whole everybody. second act is so loose. But Ted and Linda are doing a dance together. And every time the dance gets a little too romantic. Or like they're about to kiss. Right. Ted will lean in for a kiss because, again, he's made the, de- the decision that he's going to woo Linda. For whatever fucking reason. It's so that way he can have a dance partner. It has nothing to do with his feelings about her. So Jim decides to, like, kick the band into jazzy yeah, he'll like hit a cymbal crash and like it'll jump into like a swing rhythm and they'll throw the two dancers off because everything else is in like a waltzy kind of 5 4 yep. moment and then they'll switch gears really hard and throw both of them off. And it's so fast. Yeah, it, and they do it like what, eight, Un- ten times? Like they go back and forth constantly. Yeah, which is like impressive for the dancers a bit. Um, it But it gets to be a lot and holy wow, these are some fugly dresses. So let's talk about this gown. This is meant to be a Renaissance-style gown, an 18th-century gown, but because of the way the cage is structured and the way that the skirt underneath it is left free, so it's got lots of mobility and motion, they can do the waltzy stuff and stand upright, and the dress will hit her right at the ankle and still give you the right silhouette. And then when they switch to the swing stuff... 
the skirt underneath it has enough motion that it kind of brushes out of the way and flies up so you can see all of the swingy movement going on. You can see the swing steps and you can see her feet moving. It's such a genius design specifically awesome. for this scene. That's something that I did not clock. And again, oh my gosh. You're, the, you're the costumer friend. so The detail work. I mean, it's it's a clever gown. Is it ugly? Perhaps. But it's very clever. Very clever. <laughs> um, in this flipping back and forth, there's this guy on a snare drum that just has this look of, oh, God, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I have Me Too guy on snare drum. Me Too. Yeah, relatable content. So after this number is done, Ted goes to Linda's room and wants her to leave with him and this, that, the other thing. Linda's like, I'm set to marry Jim. Ted says, but I love you too. The fuck you do, bitch. Ted is kind of an awful friend. I hate men. Uh, yeah. I'm just... He's kind of... I mean, band. we've already I established that Lila is a shitbag who just wanders off with whoever gives her the most opportunity. Right. Ted also sucks. He's just out for a partner so he can make a buck. And Jim does blackface, so I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, God, <laughs> Christ alive. Um, then Ted goes to Jim and is like, hey, I'm sorry for trying to take Linda. I hear you're engaged. Congrats. And Jim's like, yeah, I mean, I guess we're kind of engaged. Yeah, he's kind of taken aback. He's like, engaged? Well, I guess. Well, I guess, yeah. Like, once we have... Once I have money, that's the plan. That's what we're like, doing. Like, he hasn't proposed. Linda hasn't said yes. Because they had a conversation, and Linda was like, oh, like, while he was doing her blackface. <laughs> Linda was like, oh, are you, are you proposing? And he's like, I mean. Well, not yet. Not yet, but yeah. I mean, that's the in that's the intention here. That's the goal, like, long term. Yeah, so Ted leaves the room uh, and is meets up with Danny, and he's like, Danny's like, ah, is it all set? And he's like. I feel less bad about what I'm about to do. Oh my God. So Ted, regardless, was going to try and swoop up Linda. Um, what a shitty thing to do. But now to he someone feels that you called a partner and a friend in show business. For years. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Um. Complete side note. I just got a notification from BuzzFeed that said, can I interest you in some feet? <laughs> Lila hard at work after all these years. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh God. All right. Speaking of God, it's Easter time. <laughs> Great. They're at church. They're leaving. We get the song Easter Parade. We have some really fun Easter bonnets going on. Is fun the word you want to use? Alexis was like, why does she look like a child? And I said, I don't know. Pedophilia. That's probably it. She's like, she fully looks like Shirley Temple. And I was like, well. In Hollywood? Well. When people look like babies, the well, answer is almost certainly for pedophiles. Well, <laughs> oh, just nailing it. Ted shows up to the inn and Jim is like, I would like you to get the fuck out of here. And Ted's like, I just wanted to come bask in your guys's love. Okay. Jim is like, what if you fuck off? And Linda's like, <laughs> we should really give him a chance. No. I don't think you should. I don't think we have to. So he's, Ted is scheming. Fourth of July. Fun fact, we see the first car that we've ever seen in this entire film. Up until this point, it's been horse and buggy. I did not catch that. So I think that it's because the inn is starting to like make money because it's the inn's car. Oh. I mean, when was the motor vehicle invented? Oh, good question. 
I'm assuming you're going to look it up while I keep going. Yes. So we find out that Lila is back in town because the millionaire she was going to marry didn't have millions. He owed millions. And... (laughs) The motor car was invented in 1886. But when did it become, like, popularized for the... For the average... I don't know. Let's look at the history of the automobile. We have nothing better to discuss in this goddamn movie. <laughs> so she, so Lila is back in town and she wants to work with Ted again. Danny says that they have some Hollywood guys coming to watch Ted and Linda as sort of an audition for to like to get Ted and Linda in movies. And Jim overhears this. So Jim goes up and talks to their driver, Gus to have him pick up Linda and then take his sweet time getting her back to the inn. And Jim calls Lila to show up at his inn so that way he can do an old switcheroo and try and get Ted and Lila hooked back up. Gus drives the car like he's like taking shortcuts because Linda knows the way and is like, this is the wrong way. And he's like, no, we're taking a shortcut. And then I'm going to take a shortcut to the shortcut. And then he runs the car into a crick. (laughs) So the car is sinking and he's like, I never had a problem driving through here with the horse and buggy before. So she ends up falling out of the car and gets soaking wet and she's like fuck all of this and heads toward the road to see if she can walk back or hitch a ride. Back at the end, Danny is talking to the guys from Hollywood and they're like is this show going to start cuz you said it was going to start over an hour ago. And so he just decides to take matters into his own hands and say fuck it, we're starting this shit. Ted's going to go on by himself. We get, let's say it with firecrackers, which is a group dance number. So this group dance number and all of the patriotic like imagery that we get during this. Yeah, there's like a whole military montage. Came in for a reason. It wasn't originally supposed to be there. Oh. So halfway through filming, the attack on Pearl Harbor happened. Oh. Because remember, guys... 1942. Right. Yeah. Pearl Harbor happened in 41. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that makes more sense because I was like, what a weird, like, nationalistic propaganda thing to throw in this film. But that's why. So they wanted to, like, highlight the strengths of the U.S. military and, like, kind of that thing of, like, you rah-rah America, we were attacked. to restore faith in the people that, like, you don't have to be afraid, we have a strong military Right. We'll show you on film. We even, like, got a flash of the president at the time and, like, some other politicians that were, like... Sure, sure, sure. We've got things handled here. Okay, well, that makes more sense. Yeah. So that's why that happened. Lila is driving down the road and picks up Linda. They're having a conversation back and forth about who they are, figuring this out. They're like, oh, my God, aren't you supposed to work with Ted? Oh, but I'm working with Ted. Oh. Ooh. (laughs) <laughs> what year do you suppose this is? So, 19... 1926. Okay. Uh, so, in the early 20s to the mid-1930s, we are in what is known as the vintage era, which was when motor cars became kind of commercially accessible and not just for racing. 
So oh, so like this is a really great timeline in regard to yeah. This is when people started, especially people with money, started driving cars recreationally. So we've got the Austin Seven, we've got the Ford Model A, we've got the Cadillac in 1930, the Bugatti Type 35. Although that was a racing vehicle, but still, Um, yeah. So there's quite a couple vehicles on the market that are accessible now to the public. Nice. Kind of for the first time. Awesome. Well, and Gus drove it right into a creek. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty expensive uh, way to detour. (laughs) And then the girls find out they're both supposed to dance with Ted. And Linda says. (laughs) No, from here, then we we get that. Yeah, we go back because they just kind of leave it off as like a, but I'm supposed to, but I'm supposed to. Oh, doesn't Linda and suggest flesh- a, a shortcut? I don't know. She might. At some point, they they drive Lila's car back into that lake, too. I missed that whole thing. Okay, so there's a bit here <laughs> where Linda says, she's like, oh, you're supposed to dance with Ted? I'm supposed to dance with Ted. I know a shortcut. And then she, again, she takes the car right back where... Yeah. I don't know how I missed that whole... I don't know. I missed all the blackface stuff before she painted her face, so I guess we both were looking down. (laughs) Well, there we go. So, Ted goes on by himself, and he's smoking while tapping. I kind of like his little weird tap firework number. So, it's cool because he, like, uses those, like, little poppers. Yeah, the little snappy popper things with sawdust in them. Yeah, and then um, a couple firecrackers and stuff like that, and he lights them with the cigarette that he's smoking. I think it's kind of cool. I think it's a it's a pretty cool number because it's a tap number along with those like little explosives. Yeah. I think it goes on too long. It is too long. I, mm. but then when you think about the fact that that was supposed to be the only number for Fourth of July, yeah, that's fair. You still could have cut that down though. <laughs> so <clears throat> Linda shows up and she is pissed at Jim. Because she's like, she found out that he like sabotaged this whole thing and didn't even give her a chance to tell Ted no, that she didn't want to go to Hollywood and this, that, and the other thing. So she's upset with him. Yeah. Jim's kind of out here making decisions for Linda and like, like Jim kind of sucks too. Like I know I said that Ted's an awful friend and he is for like wanting to double cross his partner and steal his girl and everything, but Jim kind of sucks too. Everyone's terrible. They all they all Everything kind of is suck. Um, Linda doesn't suck yet, but give it a minute. Oh, uh, well. No, Linda does. She came out and did that that blackface. Well, yeah, because of the blackface thing. But as far but as if like you're... double crossing your friends. Oh, just that. Yeah, okay. Linda still hasn't done anything like in that regard. Yeah, because Lila wasn't a friend. She just ran her car into a river. Right, she just met her. Yeah, it's casual. So the guys who are here from Hollywood come up to Jim because they don't give two shits about Ted and are like, hey, so we think this is a really cool concept for a movie, what you're doing here about having an inn that is only open on holidays for performances. And Jim says, not for sale. Not for sale. And then... He decides, ah, well, fuck it. You already have the idea, so I might as well sell it to you because otherwise you're just going to take it and run with it anyway. 
And he goes ahead, lets him have it, but he says, I'm not coming to Hollywood with you to write the music. I will write the music here in Connecticut, and I'll send it to you. Yeah, fair is fair. They're like, fine. And then he's like, yeah, and now, Linda, you can fucking leave. And again, doesn't give her a choice. Doesn't give her the choice again. my guy. So, like, you just didn't listen to the thing that just happened. So... They go. We see a dance number between Linda and Ted. It's stunning. Does nothing for the plot other than the fact that they're, like, in Hollywood dancing together. Very good. Great. Okay. We get to see a flash of the calendar because as we're going through again, we see different things of the calendar of, like, now it's Valentine's Day. Now it's this day. Now it's da-da-da-da, whatever. So this one is for Thanksgiving. You see a little animated turkey flip-flopping back and forth between two Thursdays and he's like getting exhausted and just throws up his wings and shrugs. So this is a satirical reference to the Franksgiving controversy, which was created when Franklin D. Roosevelt tried to expand the Christmas shopping season by declaring Thanksgiving a week earlier than it had been before. So this ended up leading Congress to setting Thanksgiving as the fourth Thursday in November by law, which is why that ended up being a law instead of it just being like a thing that we did. I had no idea that that was the reason we had that holiday set the way it is. Yep. That's so dumb. Yep. I've always wondered what the difference was because some holidays are like assigned by date and some of them are like according to like how many weeks into a month we are. Mm-hmm. And that never made any sense to me. No. And so, you know, like Easter is always a weird one, but that's because it has to do with like religious rites and like, you know, that has its own history behind why we celebrate it when we do every year. Right. As opposed to Thanksgiving where I was like, why is thanks like Thanksgiving isn't a religious holiday. No, actually it's a shit holiday that we could get rid of. Yeah. We can actually be done celebrating it whenever I'm not really interested anymore. Like, it's a good excuse to get your friends together and, like, eat comfort food if you want. But we don't have to – we don't have to do the whole, like, story behind it and set it on a certain day. And, like, we can be done with that. And if you're going to talk about a story behind it, talk about the fact that it was um, meals regarding mass genocide of indigenous people. Yeah, sure. And not anything other than that. You want to share history. That's, like, a great thing to share and discuss on that day. But also – Bit of a downer to celebrate, don't you think? Well, yeah. Maybe more of a moment of silence type of holiday. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of over it, but that's interesting. I didn't know there was a whole Frankie debacle. Mm-hmm. 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 Neat. Yeah. So we find out that Ted and Linda are engaged via a magazine. Do people just get engaged to anyone at this time period? I mean, yeah. I mean, they still do. I mean, that's true, but, there like... There are these... whole tabloid magazines dedicated to keeping tabs. <laughs> well, not even that. I'm talking, like, the average person, they're like, yeah, I guess we could get married. I mean, kind of, because... And they just, like... Your reach and influence in the world was so much smaller back then. Like, if you didn't live within 20 miles of someone, the chances of you meeting them in your lifetime were so slim. So, yeah, you just kind of settled down with whoever, like, didn't abuse you. You know? Well, and even then, unfortunately... Yeah. People didn't even have that choice. Well, so. women weren't allowed to own property or have their own money or like, We didn't you know. have bank accounts until like the 70s. Right. So, uh, you know, there uh, it was, courtship was very different at the time. So yeah, people probably did just settle down with whomever. Blech. I agree. 
So we get the song, I've Got Plenty to Be Thankful For. So we have a Thanksgiving song. Cute. Frankly. There aren't enough of them. The Belchers is my favorite. Pass! The cranberry sauce. We're having mashed potatoes! Who are we? Thank you for loving me. Thank Thank you you for being there. there. Thank you for loving me. The whole world's thinking. Everyone's thinking. Thinking us for thinking you. Kill the turkey. Who are we? And that's why we drink? (laughs) We're coming for your shtick. We. Em and Christine. We love those folks over there. Yeah, we do. God, I, I... Fans from afar. I hope to be them. Yeah. Do you guys want to be on a podcast about movie musicals? <laughs> Is there a movie musical about murder we haven't covered yet? There's got to be. I'll find one. There's got to be. Give me a minute. All right. We could do Chicago again. <laughs> I'll do it again. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> Who's making the rules? We are. We are. <laughs> So we get this number, and it's recorded on vinyl, and Jim is listening to his song because it's about being thankful and about holding loved ones dear and this, that, LOL, and the other LOL. thing. And so the entire, exactly that. The you entire lonely time, old fool. <laughs> the entire time, Jim's like, wow, you suck. Wow, this lyric means nothing anymore. Wow, this is garbage. Just the entire time that his song is playing. Mamie has cooked him an entire Thanksgiving meal, and he's just sitting there. Being a grumpy Gus. Yeah. She comes out and is like, you haven't even touched any food yet. Get to getting, because then my children can eat. Don't blame her for that. He's like, I just, I don't. And Mamie's like, Mr. Jim, get your shit together (laughs) and go get Linda back. Yeah, she gathers him up right quick. She's like, you can't just sit here and be sad. If you're going to have feelings about it, fucking get up and do something. She's like, you need to go tell that woman how you feel about it. And you need to be completely clear about how you feel about it. Don't do any of this bullshit wishy-washy stuff that you have been doing. And also, I know Linda. She doesn't want to be in Hollywood doing this, that, and the other thing. Because her and I, when she lived here, had tons of conversations. Yeah, yeah. And she says, you have to tell her how you feel in the way a woman likes to hear it. Because I think from Jim's perspective, he has told Linda how he feels. He wants her to stay here and be be with him and not go off with Ted. But he did that by, like, forcing her into the decision and, like, taking choices away from her and lying to her. Which is, like, not... Not it. ...the way to do it. So I, I, I do really like that line where she says you have to say it to her. You have to tell her in a way she wants to hear it. Exactly. And that goes for everybody and not just telling women things. Yeah, that goes for everybody everywhere. Yes. Jim is like, well, Mamie, you're fucking right. And he hops on a train and heads over to Hollywood. It's Christmas Eve again for the, for, for the third time? Yeah. Third time. Here we go. It's the night before Ted and Linda are going to get married. They're not married yet. Danny is like, what can go wrong? And Ted's like, everything. I came this close last time. <laughs> Then all of a sudden, Jim shows up right when he says that. And he's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> he's like, I just came to see what was going on here and, and check on the movie that is being made about my life and not yours. And <laughs> so I just, you know, showing up for that. Nothing else. Just that. And Ted's like, ah, son of a bitch. All right. Jim locks Ted and Danny in Ted's dressing room. Yeah. 
So Jim gets a tour around set. They start recording White Christmas for the movie this time. And it is Linda singing it by herself. She goes through and this set is a perfect replica of the inn. I think it might actually be It the is inn. just the inn. And then they like. <laughs> but now they've moved it and reframed it so it looks like a set. I'm sure all they actually did was where the cameras are while they're filming. They left those cameras there from before. Yeah. And, and then, then just, just like took another cameras. set. <laughs> so that way you could see like the fact that it was just a set on a soundstage and you could see the cameras and everybody like off. Oh yeah. Quote fully unquote, off screen that are now on screen working. Fully. I mean, it's kind of a cool Hollywood trick, but like, yeah, they didn't like rebuild a replica for this scene of the, of, no, but the guy, a... no, but like the guy giving Jim the tour is like, isn't this like just the best replica we could have ever made? <laughs> A fucking yeah. <laughs> because of all the pictures that you sent us? Great way to cover that. <laughs> no one will ever know. So she's up where, like, her and Jim sang White Christmas for the first time, and she grabs the pipe and does, like, the bell tinkling thing that he did in the first place. Right. And then she starts to hear him whistling like he did beforehand. And she's kind of thinking it's in her head at first, and then it builds because he starts singing with her. Oh my God, he's here. And she can't see where he's at because he's behind some door of this set. Door number one. He opens it and comes out and she's like, Jim! And like, (laughs) (laughs) runs to to him. And this whole time, Ted and Danny are, are on the outside of this door and they're like, let me in there. And the security guy's like, no, when the light red is on, when the light red is on? When the red light is on. When the lead right is on. Yeah. When the blue left is off. What the fuck? They uh, can't get in. Yeah, you can't get in. Even if you owned owned the studio, you can't get in. Yeah, so that's, like, that's just the rules. I can't do anything about up. it. And so he's like, great. It's over. It's over. And then they get done and then they bust in. And they see that she's already making out with Jim. It's too late. It's like, wow. Sorry, everybody. They're like, oh my God, how did he get to this point in like less than five minutes? Sign sealed delivered. It's over. And someone says, for them to be doing that sort of thing that quickly, it must have been the lady's choice. Oh, that's delightful. Yeah. All right, kids. Now we are on the home stretch. I thought it was over. Dear God. Not quite. I don't so, have any notes about any of this. I know. You had, <laughs> you had like, what, 10, 15 notes for the whole movie? Uh, Yeah. For the entirety of the second act, I have exactly six notes. I can't say that I blame you. Nope. No. Sorry. We did the, we did the blackface thing, and then I checked right the fuck out. Yeah, this was really, really hard. This Tell me what trouble. else happens. Let's let's This last bit. All right. They make out. It's New Year's Eve again. They're reopening the Holiday Inn. Lila shows up to dance with Ted. Jim and Linda and Ted and Lila are doing the number that they sang as the first number of this show of like pick me, no pick me. And now they're like, I have one and you have one and and we're the singers and we're the dancers and the end. So everybody sucks. Yep. And they still get a happy ending that it's just over? Yeah.
this sucked. Let's rate it. I hate it. It's a zero. It's a, it's it's so it's so bad, guys. Listen, it's so bad. I fully understand why the Broadway community wanted to do a live version of this and take that aspect out because there's a lot of good stuff in here. There's there's, there's good a lot things of good to grab stuff at in regard to. There's a lot of stunning dancing. There's a yeah. lot of stunning singing. Marvelous performances. Some really uh, grand opportunities. This for... is the first time we ever hear in history the song White Christmas. Yeah. Fun aesthetic opportunities with the holidays and stuff. I mean, there's lots of good stuff to latch onto here. And the way they did it with like the updated and innovative choreography totally makes sense. However, there's nothing in this m- movie that does enough to outshine an entire blackface sequence guys and when i say that the when i say that the abraham lincoln sequence is so long compared to all of the other sequences it's so gratuitous and it's ghastly like it's just horrific everywhere you look blackface happens everywhere you look awful awful racist bigotry happens yeah and i just and it just gets worse and worse like you start with like Waiters and musicians in blackface. That's already too much. It's already awful. But then they come out and start doing caricatures and they start performing and they do the, I mean, it's just horrific. It's, yeah. Zero. Yeah. Zero. Zero. And the thing is, too, is that, like, it spoils the rest of the movie. Like, I can't. Yeah, it really does. Taints literally everything. I had such a, I was like. No. But it explains why we've never heard of this, why it's not something we watch every single Christmas, why there isn't, like, a really strong fandom for this out there who, like, in the way that, like, White Christmas comes around every year and you have people talking about it online, like, oh, I love this, I remember this. You have people reminiscing with each other in comment sections. Like, I've never seen that before for Holiday Inn. And we... The only hype I've heard about it was from the live show. And we found out why. And now we know why. So, zero... I don't want to give it the biddy test, but we have to. The BD, the Benny Drake. Pass, fail. Technically, it would be a pass. But I want to fail it. I want to. F- I want to fail it because this should this should just not exist. So I think we can all we are all well aware at the talent of Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby and the and a couple of these other folks in here that we don't need to give them a pass on this thing. They just don't get. They don't get it. You get a zero, and you're lucky we talked about this at all. I'm cool with it. I need a fucking cookie. I am so stressed. I have a tasty one for you here. This is a quote from, and I apologize if I don't get this name entirely correct, but Igioma Oluo. And the quote is, The beauty of anti-racism is that you don't have to pretend to be free of racism to be an anti-racist. Anti-racism is the commitment to fight racism wherever you find it, including in yourself, and it's the only way forward. Oh, I love that. And ain't that just the truth? And it's very true, because even just, I am learning new things every day. Every day. All the time. And you have to listen to the people within the community that these things affect and hear what they want done about it and call people out on your own time as well. Absolutely. Let them lead the movement. You still need to be an active member and not just be like, well, you guys got to fix it. No, my God. I mean, 
you know, raise voices up when they need to be heard and stand aside when your opinion isn't needed and also stand in the front of the fight when they need protection. I mean, everyone has a place in a battle for equality and you have to be a part of it or this keeps going on. And again, we talked about this at the top of the episode, but things have changed and we've grown and things are different now. But they're not where they should be. Nowhere near where they should be. And now we're nearing, uh, we are, not nearing, but we live in a place where we've seen sort of a backslide in equality. And I fear for everyone around us if that continues and we'll continue fighting the good fight and building community and supporting one another. But like, my God, everyone has to step up and be part of that. Yeah. So where can they find us, Benny? Oh, my Lanta kids. You can find us on Twitter at Backstage BDs. That's Backstage B for Benny, D for Drake S. Instagram and TikTok at Backstage Biddies or email us at BackstageBiddies at gmail.com. If you go ahead, rate us five stars, tell your friends, and let us know somehow via any of those communication ways of what you would like to hear next. We will move it to the top of the list. Also, shout out to our like 2% listenership in the United Kingdom. Oh, yeah. We've got like a homie in Germany. A homie in Iceland, uh, Brazil. It's cool. It's cool that you guys are finding us. I don't know how. I don't know how, but thanks, We do virtually no promo whatsoever, but God, do we appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, thanks everybody. (laughs) Yeah, give us a listen. Share us on your socials. Uh, Where can they find you? You guys can find me on TikTok and Instagram at BinnyBiddy, and you can find me on Twitter at BinnyAnnNoE. Where can they find you? You can find me, as always, on TikTok and Twitter at Drake underscore Leverance. That's Drake underscore L-E-W. E-R-E-N-Z as in zebra, Drake underscore Leverance. I may never watch this movie again. I won't. I mean, why would we? I'll just I'll just watch White Christmas instead. You know what might be a delicious idea? Mm. We could reboot this as a new movie based on the stage production. That's true. That'd be cool. They already had Corbin Blue in it. He's got movie experience. Bryce Pinkham, I'm sure, is ready. Put the original Broadway cast on film. How about that? Yeah, let's let's give let's give that a whirl. And also, proceeds from it uh, should go towards Black Lives Matter or yeah. some other upward movement. Because you can't you can't just erase what something did. You then need to also. I'm a big fan of reparations in word and action. Yeah. You and can't just you say you're sorry. Those, you I need mean, to yeah. say you're sorry and then do something about it. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, I'm going to go get Hollywood on the phone. So we got to go. Hollywood. It's the biddies calling. We have an idea. Okay. Bye. Bye. I'm exhausted.